country, I think actually in the city in which he lived. And he said in the city of Taichu, they bring out great images every year, parade them along the streets. The images that people worship, the images that people are involved in, if you would, giving homage, homage to. In Western lands, he continued, people have gotten rid of all this nonsense, but they have not gotten rid of idols. Their idols are idols in the heart. Another Chinese believer had opportunity to travel through Europe, and on his return from his trip, he said, the European God is not as large as God. It's so small that one can take it in the hand. It's round, it's made of silver, maybe even gold. It bears weapons and inscriptions. It's called money. And he was right. Now, those believers were correct in what they observed. That the love of money, the elevation of it to a God of one's life is something that is seen often in society. Uh, quite honestly, that's uh, seen in America, it's seen in Europe, it's seen even in China in our day. The love of money is not just uh, an American problem, it's an age-old problem that has been around since the very uh, beginning. So much so that God devotes time in the Bible to the subject of money and warns about the danger of living for it and instructing us about it and about the use of it. Why bring up the subject of money on a Sunday morning during Missions Month? Because we've been urging you to be involved in the matter of giving for missions. And I'd like to, to look at that subject today. It gives us opportunity every year, at least once a year, to focus on the great need to get the word to the world and the great need of learning about giving. You see, in order to get the word to the world, it requires funding so that men and women can go. Uh, the truth is that, that not all of us can go to foreign lands. Not all of us can go to Africa. Not all of us can go to foreign lands. We all are to be missionaries here, and we've focused on that over the last couple of weeks. But today, I'd like you to think about what God has to say about this matter of money. Now, we could turn to Philippians chapter 4, and we could find a specific example today about missions giving, because Paul was supplied by the church at Philippi, the churches that were there, and they met his needs a number of different times. And, and in essence, we could say, as he did missionary work, he was provided for by the churches, the Philippian churches. And that would be a good passage to turn to because he says in that passage, my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. And the context is the matter of giving. But we're not going to turn there today. We could turn to 2 Corinthians. Chapters 8 and 9 are tremendous lessons in the matter of giving and many principles that have been, uh, been spoken. In fact, I looked there and considered that a little bit, although... We spoke on it last year, so we're not going to look at 2 Corinthians 8 and 9. We could go to the book of Timothy. Timothy has some instruction about and was instructed about the matter of giving and was told to, to tell people some things about the matter of money. There are many places in the Bible that we could turn today, but I have you in Luke chapter 6 because the words of Jesus Christ are important words. And Jesus had something to say about money in Luke chapter 6, but not just in Luke chapter 6. He had something to say about money over and over and over in the New Testament. But in Luke chapter 6 and verse 38, we see one statement of Jesus Christ where he said this, Give, and it shall be given unto you. Good measure, pressed down and shaken together, and running over shall men give into your bosom. For with the same measure that ye meet withal, it shall be measured to you again. God talks about a command there. He gives a promise. Let's pray and ask God to help us today. Father, as we look at the matter of missions today, and we consider the great need of supporting missionaries and, and helping them get to the field by, giving, by being giving people, I pray that you'd stir us about a lot more than just the matter of giving to missions, but that we would have an understanding at the end of our time today a little better about what you expect from us in all areas of our finances. And I pray, Lord God, that you would use this time to help your people
understand your truth in regard and your thinking about money. And I will grateful, be very grateful if you'd help me to do that this morning. And I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So you're going to preach from Luke 6, 38 this morning. Well, we will get there. But no, we're not going to preach specifically from that passage. Now, you may say, well, that confuses me because you read that verse. Well, let me explain. As I was preparing for this morning and contemplating many of the texts, some of the texts that I've just mentioned, some of the places where you can find the matter of giving, I came across and got to Luke chapter 6 and verse 38 where Jesus makes this statement. And, uh, and I, I asked myself this question, does Jesus talk a lot about the matter of money? And in doing so, I then began to do a study on that word. Actually, you see right at the start of verse 38, give and it shall be given unto you. And I was struck by how many times in just the Gospels the word give is found. 122 times, if you wanted to know. So 122 times, different times, we find the word give. Now, I, I do want to be clear about this. Not everyone's talking about money, because there's a lot of things that you can give. Jesus Christ talked in many different cases about giving your life to him. And, and, and giving your life in service to him. So giving of yourself. Jesus Christ said himself that he came to give his life as a ransom for many. And so this word is used in many different ways, but I can tell you that at least in 20 different places, some very lengthy stories and passages, Jesus Christ spoke of and taught something about the matter of giving. He taught something about the matter of money. So it's not just one passage, it's not just one verse. But there are many verses and there are many lessons to be learned. And so today, we're not going to look at just one passage, but I would like to kind of give you an overview, if I could do that. And I'd also like to do this. I'm not sure anyone ever listens to my challenges, but I'd like to challenge you to look up the word give and see how many times it's used in reference to money in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John in the Gospels. And just see what Jesus Christ had to say about the matter of money. You ought because if Jesus said something about money, you ought to be interested in what he had to say. It's also encouraging to me as I preach this today to say I'm not the only one that preaches on these things. You see, because each one of these lessons was taught or found in the life of Jesus Christ and the things that he said. And so in reality, as every preacher seems to do whenever they preach on the matter of money, they apologize at the beginning of the service. I'm not going to because if Jesus taught on it, then I think I, I have a responsibility to teach on it as well. But I would like you to look at our Lord Jesus Christ and see what he had to say about the matter of money. And I would like to share with you, very simply, five principles that Jesus teaches about money. Now, I'll tell you this, we're only scratching the surface. Because most of these passages, like even verse 38, you don't have any doubt, do you, that I could preach an entire message just on verse 38? I could do it. No problem whatsoever. I could probably preach a couple. I could probably even preach a series. And if you're interested in that, let me know after the service. Okay, but we're not going to take time to delve into all the different passages. There are some amazing lessons Jesus teaches about money. But I was amazed, honestly, myself at how many times in the New Testament Jesus dealt with this subject and talked about it clarifying things, helping us understand great truths. And so I'm going to do something very unique. Not only am I preaching a different message a little bit today because we're just going to take an overview, but I actually made an outline too. And I don't do that on Sunday morning. Thank you. I got people even cheering for me. That's good. Hey. All right. We'll bow. All right. But the only reason I have it is because I really would, I would urge you to just take some time today and write down these principles and think about them. And as you'll see at the end, ask yourself some questions in regard to these principles that we're going to help you see from the word of God. Because this is God's thinking about money. And because it's God's thinking about money, you and I need to really consider it carefully. Now, again, whether you use the outline or not, that's up to you. And uh, just as long as you don't throw those papers at me or make paper airplanes and throw them during the service, we're good, all right? But I want them to, to be something you can take with you and think about today if you so choose because, because these are Jesus' words. 
And here's what our Lord and Savior thinks about the matter and teaches us about the matter of money. So if you would, since I said we're not going to be there in Luke 6, we will probably get there toward the end. Turn to Matthew chapter 6, if you would. Matthew chapter 6. And we start with a verse that comes in the middle of a prayer. Some people call it the Lord's Prayer, but it's not the Lord's Prayer. The Lord's Prayer, if you want to be technical about the matter, is found in John chapter 17, and it's a powerful prayer, and it's a great passage for you to study out sometime as well. But in Matthew chapter 6, we're in the midst of the Sermon on the Mount, and Jesus is teaching and helping people understand great truths that they needed to know for their lives. And in the Sermon on the Mount, there are so many different subjects Jesus dealt with. I think it's interesting that it was one sermon. And, uh, and you know, you're, I mean, I was always taught, well, you don't want to have too many subjects in one sermon. Jesus taught about everything, I think, in the Sermon on the Mount. One message that he preached to people, and he hit on everything. No one could go away saying they didn't learn something from, from the Sermon on the Mount by the words of Jesus Christ. And as he dealt with that matter, he gave uh, what we would call, and, and sometimes I'd like to, I prefer the term, the model prayer. Not the Lord's prayer, but the model prayer. Because he models and he helps people understand how they ought pray. And we're going to get to that in a moment. But at the beginning of chapter 6, it's interesting to note that Jesus had already dealt with the matter of money. And he talks about the matter of alms or giving alms. Take heed that you do not your alms before men to be seen of them. And he talks about this matter of money. He deals with it a little bit and shares some things that you need to know. And one of the things is you're not to give for show. You're not to be interested in, you know, you're not to walk up and, and, and hit the offering plate so everyone thinks you're putting a lot of money in. He said you're not supposed to be doing what you do in the matter of giving for show. You're to do it with, if you would, humility. And you're to do it not sounding a trumpet before you as hypocrites do in the synagogues. But you're to just do it. And not letting your left hand know what your right hand is doing. In other words, you're to do it in private. You're to do it very simply, and you're not, it's not to be for show. But in Matthew chapter 6, as Jesus starts in the matter of prayer, he makes a statement, and this may not sound at all like anything about money, but in verse 11, he says these words, Give us this day our daily bread. And in that one statement, in the midst of this prayer, he teaches us something. He taught the importance of understanding a few things. First of all, understanding that God is the provider of all that you have. That's the first principle. Jesus taught the importance of understanding that God is the provider of all that you have. And that you ought to remind yourself of this daily. Jesus taught the importance of understanding God is the provider of all that you have and that you ought to remind yourself of this daily. As I've said in the first verse of Matthew 6, he talks about alms and he teaches an important principle. After that, he deals with the subject of prayer in verses 5 to 8. And then in verse uh, 9 and on, he starts then giving this model prayer. And in verse 11, he says, our prayer life ought to include asking God for daily bread. Now, that's an interesting statement because what he's helping us understand is, look, we are dependent upon God and we need to see that every day. Now, many people in the day of Jesus and probably a great number of people he spoke to as he preached the Sermon on the Mount lived from day to day. They worked for their food. They'd work for a day. They'd get a, a penny or whatever was sufficient oftentimes to provide for their family. They would get enough from their, their work that they'd be able to buy for another day. And so they were dependent daily upon, upon their food. They were dependent daily for, for their needs to be met. But the truth of the matter is even the poor would have probably had at least a few sheep or animals which they could kill and meet their needs for more than a day. Uh, many of the people Jesus would have spoken to as well would have had more than that and would have had sufficient probably to provide for themselves for many days. And yet when Jesus talked about this matter of prayer, he said, look, I want you to pray and I want you to pray every day because you're supposed to ask God for this, that he would provide for you daily bread. Now, if you wanted to be honest, when you come to this passage, all of us would say, well, I know I've got food for today. I, at least I would think so. I got food for tomorrow. 
I got enough money in the bank that I'll be okay for at least a few weeks. Some of you have foodstuffs and could probably make it six months as far as, as far as what you have. You know, because I'm concerned that there's going to be some, you know, major government upheaval. And so I'm, you know, hey, look, I, that's fine. That's wonderful. You may, be, you may have it all planned out that you've got months and months of food stored up. Most of us could probably make it on what's in our pantry for probably weeks. So truth is, we don't live on a daily basis saying, am I going to have food today? Am I going to have food tomorrow? But God says he wants you to be thinking that way. And the reason he wants you to think that way is because he wants you to be reminded each and every day that what you have is because of the hand of God. And the truth is, what you have in the pantry is because God gave you the ability to get it, to, to afford it, to buy it, to put it there. And the food stuff that you have that may provide for six months or whatever you've got stored up is also something that God has given you and provided you with. And the truth is, if God doesn't give you the ability, you wouldn't be able to eat it and enjoy it anyway. In fact, I came across a story as I was preparing that shared that truth that was actually a pretty stark reminder to me that God is ultimately the one who's given me everything that I have and I need him to help me to be able to even enjoy that for, on a daily basis. The Rockefeller Billions was a book written by Jules Abels, and he said that John Rockefeller had an income of approximately $1 million a week toward the end of his life. Now, at first, that was, a, that was quite, a, quite a shock. A million dollars a week. Wouldn't you like that for a budget, ladies? Of course, the way it's going, that might not take care of groceries in a couple of weeks. You know? But, all right. So here he is. He has a million dollars a week to spend toward the end of his life coming in. But his doctors would only allow him to eat a bare minimum daily toward the end of his days because of his health needs. One of his biographers said this. He lived on a diet a pauper would have hated. He was less than 100 pounds in weight, and all he could do was sample food. He would sample everything at breakfast. He would take a drop of coffee, a spoonful of cereal, a forkful of egg, a, a bit of meat the size of a pea. Rockefeller was the richest man in the world at the time, but he didn't have the ability to even enjoy his food. He didn't have the ability to eat more than just enough to sustain life because of his, his health. And he is a great reminder and, and, and really, the truth is that you and I are dependent upon God every day for what we have. And what we have is because God has been gracious to give it to us and allow us, by the way, to enjoy it. So, my friends, when we talk about the matter of giving, when we talk about the matter of money, it really starts here. It starts by helping us understand. And Jesus did this by saying, this is how you ought to pray. You ought to pray every day, Lord, give us this day our daily bread with this understanding that if God doesn't give me the ability and the strength, I won't have to provide. If God doesn't give me the ability to enjoy it, the ability to eat, because he could put me in the hospital and I wouldn't eat a thing, maybe even for weeks, maybe months, if he would put me in a coma. But I am dependent totally upon God for what I have and for my daily bread today. And he wants me to live with this understanding that all I have, everything I ever gain, is totally a gift from him. And that's what Jesus taught. He taught the importance of understanding God is the provider of all that you have, and you ought to remind yourself of that truth on a daily basis. There are no self-made men in this world. There is no one in this world who is successful, successful because they've done it on their own, Everything that is done in this world is done because there is a gracious, merciful God that he has been gracious to every human being that has been able to make money and earn money and eat and live. Because the truth is all people live and move and have their being, according to Paul as he spoke uh, in Acts chapter 17, as a result of this God who gives life. Let me tell you something. Giving starts with this premise. Everything I have is God's. And that changes the whole perspective about giving. Because it's not, man, I gotta give 10% to God, or I've got to give, I've got to give extra to missions. You see, the whole perspective changes when I say it's all God's. 
I don't know, let's, let's think about it this way. Let's imagine that brother, brother deals out of the kindness of his heart being rich. Decide, <laughs> all right, decides that, um, I don't know, that he's going to give the days $4,000 every month. Oh, the days are, they're, they're teaching, so I guess, yeah, we'll pick them. We'll give the days $4,000 every month. He's just going to do that because he's just a nice guy. Now, when Brother Day gives them the first check, or Brother Deals gives Brother Day the first check. There you go. Day and Deals. I shouldn't have chosen those two. I'm going to be in trouble with this. There you go. All right. Oh, so you want it the other way around. You want to change this whole story, scenario. All right. So, so when, he say, when he gives them that first check, Brother Deals says, hey, Brother Day, look, I, I really would appreciate it if you would take 10% of this and, and give it to the church. Also, uh, I'd like you to take an amount of your choosing, it'd be up to you, and, and give it to some cause which will help other people in need, because that's what I'm seeking to do, to be a blessing to you. Now, Brother Day takes a check, he deposits it, and he spends it all taking care of needs for his family. Um, does he have the right to do that? Was given him. He can. But let me ask you something. Isn't that very inconsiderate? Who gave him the money? And the one who gave him the entire amount only asked that he would make the decision, make the choice of his own volition to do something right and good with only a portion of those funds. There are many people, many people that get hung up about preachers who preach on money and they get all upset and bent out of shape about the matter of money who I think have failed to realize that the $4,000 they make in a month or the $2,000 they make in a month or the $10,000 they make in a month or the million dollars a week is all what great God has graciously given and that if he would make request anyone who has any kind of common sense would be more than willing to say hey this $4,000 was given to me What's the big deal about giving 400 to the church? And what's the big deal about giving another 50 or 100 or 200 or maybe even 500 to some need that someone might have? Totally changes the perspective, doesn't it? So Jesus, when he taught us about prayer, said, you pray every day and pray this prayer daily, Lord God. I need food. I need you to provide my daily bread as a reminder that everything I have is God's. Everything I have has been given to me by God. And so if God asks me to give something, I, he's not asking me to give anything that I've earned or I've done. He's only asking me to give back something that he's already given to me. And he lets me keep a great majority of it myself. Isn't that an amazing thing? So Jesus taught the importance of understanding God is the provider of all that you have, and you ought to remind yourself of that truth daily. And that's based upon the fact that he said you're to be praying, Lord, give us this day our daily bread. Second truth, Jesus taught that some people are all about getting gaining, if you would, and some are all about giving. Now, this one, we don't have time to delve into at great length because there is a lot taught about this in the Gospels. But go back to Luke chapter 12, if you would. We're going to go all around. I know, back and forth, whatever, because this is how I listed these things, all right? Luke chapter 12. A lot of times I like to follow through pattern, but this, this is just a different message today. Jesus taught that some people are all about getting, gaining, and some are all about giving. 
Now, the first point under that, we're going to find in Luke chapter 12, because in verse 13, it says, And one of the company said unto him, Master, speak to my brother that he divide the inheritance with me. And he said unto him, Man, who made me a judge or a divider over you? And he said unto them, Take heed and beware of covetousness, for a man's life consisteth not in the abundance of the things which he possesseth. Now, this is a very interesting scenario. Here's a guy who comes, and Jesus was a master. Now, you say, well, why would this guy come and ask Jesus to help him get part of his inheritance? Well, because Jesus was a master. He was a teacher. He was an authority. And so um, he would have assumed, I believe, that someone would listen to Jesus. No one will listen to me, but someone would listen to Jesus. So he comes to him, and he says, hey, look, Lord, I need help. This guy should split the inheritance. It's rightfully mine. Now, that probably was very true, right? I mean, hey, look, your, your, your relative passes away, your father passes away or whatever, and maybe there's two siblings or there's, you know, 13 siblings or there are 43 siblings, I don't know, whatever there is. But, you know, there's a portion. And, and in this passage, you said, look, speak to my brother that he divide the inheritance with me, that he give me something that maybe is my fair share. And Jesus said, hey, look, I'm not going to get in the middle of this. That, those are my words. Uh, but Jesus said, you know, this is, this is really, really not where we want to go and not what we want to talk about. And it's interesting to me, but it's not just here. It's throughout the New Testament. Jesus says nothing good about getters. Jesus says nothing good about good getters. Look, our sin nature drives us to focus on getting. That's what life is all about. Do you, do you realize that a great majority of this world, and sadly, in many cases, Christians included, live life about getting? You say, well, why do we do that? Because we have a sin nature that focuses on me, my needs, my wants, and what I need for my happiness. And by the way, that's fed all the time. It's fed in advertising. It's fed in, in television programs. It's fed everywhere that you go all the time. Interest, be interested in yourself. Take care of yourself. And then if you have extra, it might be a good thing to give. And most people are encouraged. And our old sinful nature is all about this matter of getting. I want to get more. And you can follow it through the New Testament. You can see it over and over. Jesus Christ never said anything good about people who were focused on getting. In fact, his messages sometimes were very scathing about those who lived this life of, I need more. Matthew 16, 26. For what is a man profited if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul, or what shall man give in exchange for his soul? Jesus Christ taught that your eternal destiny, your soul, is far more important than money. If you would give attention to that, you would be giving attention to something far more worthy than focusing and living on getting more and, 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 take, and having more for life. You know why? Because the truth of the matter is you can't take it with you. And your eternity is far more, more worth, worth more greater value than all the riches of this entire world. In Luke chapter 12 and verse 13, the getter was trying to get what he felt was rightfully his. All he could get. There you go. And he came to Jesus to get some help getting what he thought he should get. And Jesus refused. And what's interesting is that Jesus then went into a, a, a whole message on, this matter, on the matter of covetousness. And he basically was saying, hey, you are a getter, and that is not right. Man's life doesn't consist of, of all that, and stop living that way. Look, if you would, at verse 16, because he spake a parable unto them. I mean, this is a continuation. The ground of a certain rich man brought forth plentifully. And you know what the rich man did? He said, hey, I'm going to tear down my barns. I'm going to build bigger. I'm going to store these things, and I'm going to say I have all sorts of things stored up, and I'm going to eat, drink, and be merry. And Christ said, that is a wrong focus in life. You should be rich toward God. Stop living a life of getting. 
Then he continues on after that, and he follows that story up with uh, something to his disciples. Take no thought for your life, verse 22 says, what you shall eat, neither for your body what you, sh what you shall put on. And he teaches them to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. The lesson that's found in Matthew chapter 6, rather than worrying about things and rather than worrying about being a getter. This subject of getters is a constant focus of Jesus Christ. The disciples condemned the lady who anointed Jesus with expensive oil in Matthew chapter 26. And what's interesting is one of the disciples went out just after that and went to uh, the religious leaders of the day and said, how much money will you give me if I betray him? Judas was among the getters. And I really don't want to be in that camp. I don't know about you. In Luke chapter 15, what was the prodigal son? Father, give me all that's mine. He was a getter. It was all about himself. I don't want to be in his camp either. The rich man came and fell at Jesus' feet. And he said, what good thing can I do to inherit the eternal life? Master, tell me. And after Jesus goes through a list of the commandments, ah, all of these have I done from my youth up. What lack I? What do I still lack? And Jesus said, if you want to have treasure in heaven, go and sell all that you have. You say, well, uh, was he talking about the fact that if you sell all you have, you'll, you'll go to heaven? Well, there's some preachers that have used that passage to teach that. That's not what Jesus was teaching at all. But what he did bring out was the fact that people live as getters, and that man did. And he left that day without eternal life because his focus was on getting. God never said anything good about getters. Now, I will say this. Jesus never condemned wealthy people. He didn't condemn someone because they happened to be rich. If he did, he would have been condemning a lot of people that God abundantly blessed in the Bible. Solomon was wealthy. David was a very wealthy man. Abraham had great wealth. And we could go through and find many people in the Bible that God had abundantly blessed. Jesus never condemned someone who was wealthy, but he did condemn those who lived for it. He did condemn those who focused on it. He did condemn those whose life was centered on, hey, I've got to get more. That's what life is all about. So Jesus does condemn getters. He doesn't condemn those who have been given wealth by God. Joseph of Arimathea was a rich man, the Bible tells us. He was a disciple of Jesus Christ, and he's the one who provided the tomb, the place of burial for our Lord. And there's nothing negative said about him nor about anyone else who God had blessed. You know what I do find interesting? I wasn't going to bring this out. I'm going to bring it out. Two books deal with the subject. Matthew and Luke deal with money. Luke was a doctor. Matthew was a tax collector. Does that, does that tell you anything? Okay. All right. Well, you can think about that one sometime later on. But as they deal with the subject, they help us understand things that we need to know. Getters are never pleasing to our Lord. But he says much good about givers. Just take a moment, turn to John chapter 12, would you? John chapter 12. One of many stories that we could look at. I should have had you just stay in Luke, but that's all right. John chapter 12. Jesus, six days before the Passover, comes to Bethany in verse 1. Lazarus the one that had been dead and been raised from the dead, and they were having a supper. That must have been a great time, wouldn't it? Here's Martha, you know, the lady that was complaining about serving earlier. We got that all out of the way. There's Lazarus. Man, we're having a, a, a wonderful time. Mary is there. And then sometime during the supper, there's this meal in verse 3. Mary takes a pound of ointment of spikenard. And the Bible says it was very costly. And she anointed the feet of Jesus, wiped his feet with her hair. The house was filled with the odor of the ointment. 
Then saith one of his disciples, here we go again, Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, which should betray him. Why was not this ointment sold for 300 pence and given to the poor? This he said, not that he cared for the poor, but because he was a thief and had the bag and bear what was put therein. And said, Jesus, let her alone against the day of this of my burying hath she kept this for the poor always ye have with you, but me ye have not always. In the book of Matthew, there's another story. These stories happen both right around one another. And in both, Jesus praised those who were givers, but he never praised the getter. He says much good about givers. He says nothing good about getters. And it is interesting to me that as you go through the Bible, you see that when someone got right with God, they became a giver. I, I told you I should have kept you there in Luke because in Luke chapter 19, there's a story when Jesus said he came to seek and to save that which was lost. Do you know the context in which he made the statement that he came to seek and to save that which was lost? It was when a short guy got saved. Yeah, you know the name. Zacchaeus. Now, do you know Zacchaeus never prayed the sinner's prayer? We talked about that last week, brought that up, uh, as far as we know. But you know what Zacchaeus did? He made a declaration. The half of my goods, Lord, I give to the poor. And if I've cheated anyone on anything, that's a tax collector for you, I will restore to him what? Fourfold, I think that's what he said in Luke chapter 19. And, and Christ said, Salvation has come to this household. That was the next statement Jesus made. Jesus praised givers. And when people got right with God, they became givers. Do you know that Peter at one point asked Jesus Christ this statement? And actually, it sounds like in the scripture, he never got to finish it. But Lord, we have left all to follow you. And Jesus cut right in on Peter and said, no one has left anything that I don't give back abundantly. I always reward givers. And those who were followers of Jesus Christ all became givers. They had to be people who gave up their, of their, their livelihoods. Peter, James, and John. Look, you, you don't think this. These guys quit their job. Do, do you realize that? To be a follower of Jesus Christ. And here's what Jesus said about everyone that was a giver. He rewarded them, and he says, givers are always rewarded. I want you to know that. So the second principle is important, and it's one that's taught more in the New Testament, the Gospels, than probably anything else. Jesus taught some people are all about getting, gaining, and some are all about giving. The third principle, Jesus taught about stewardship. Now time would fail us to look at all the different passages where Jesus talks about this, but God tells us to be wise with what he has given to us, with what we have. Jesus shared many stories about stewardship where people were given talents and expected to use them. You read those stories, haven't you? And every time he condemned the one who did nothing and he praised the one who took what had been given and used it in a wise manner. Luke chapter 16, he talk, talked about the unjust steward. In Matthew 25, he talks about the wise and unwise virgin, virgins, and he follows that story with talents given to men when the master went away in verses 15 to 29. And every story reminds us of the importance of using wisely what God has given and how much has God given us. Point one, everything. So use it wisely. Uh, I think there's a, a reason why a Christian ought to have a budget because we are stewards of what God has given to us and we're to use wisely the money he's given us. Moreover, it is required in stewards, Paul said later on in the book of Corinthians, that a man be found faithful. Now, he was talking about the fact he had been a steward of the gospel of Jesus Christ, but he was talking about stewards or people who had been entrusted with the money of a household and a steward needed to be faithful. He needed to be counted worthy. So being wise with what we have is what Jesus taught about the matter of stewardship. He also taught about fulfilling our God-given obligation. Go to Matthew chapter 22, would you? Matthew 22. 
In Matthew 22, we have the story of Jesus in verse 17 where he was asked this question, is it lawful to give tribute unto Caesar or not? Now, this is all those trick questions, right? Oh, man, I love my Lord and his wisdom. I love the way he dealt with things. It's kind of like, you know, just you, you, you can see every time these guys think we got them now. And Jesus would just make one statement, right? Render, therefore, unto Caesar the things which are Caesar's, and unto God the things which are God's. And so he deals with this matter in, in such a, a wise uh, situation. But you know, uh, what he does tell us there is that there is an obligation to government. He tells us to pay taxes. And Paul reiterated that fact in, in Romans chapter 13. You know that? And I have to preach on that because April's coming, right? But he did. He taught about the matter of fulfilling our obligation. He said there is an obligation to government. Um, Jesus taught about tithing. Look in Matthew chapter 23 and in verse 23. In that passage, he's condemning the scribes and Pharisees, calling them hypocrites. And here's the reason why, because they paid tithes. You say, well, well, no, 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 you misunderstand. No, let me explain. He said, you pay tithe of mint and anise and cumin and have omitted the weightier matters of the law, judgment, mercy, and faith. So he says, hey, look, what your problem is, is you tithe all sorts of things that are, if you would, are, are, are not unimportant. He didn't say that. By the way, we'll share with you that the reason why we know that wasn't true. He said, you take care of these little details, but great important things like judgment, mercy, and truth, you forsake. And he said, this is wrong. But look at what he said in that verse. These ought ye to have done judgment, mercy, and faith, and not to leave the other undone. From the very beginning of time, God has expected his people to give in fact, God has expected everyone to give because everyone is given and provided by the bountiful hand of God. This truth is taught. Now, we don't have time to get into the argument and discussion about the matter of the tithe, but we do know this, that before hundreds of years before the law was ever given, Abraham knew something about giving a tithe because he gave a tenth. Jacob knew something about the tithe because he gave a tenth of all that he had when he got back to, the, the, to his homeland, and he was safe. And we can learn through Scripture, and we find throughout Scripture that people who loved God gave to God, and, and the starting point was the tithe, and then there were offerings and other things beyond that. But Jesus taught about the matter of giving regularly for, for the cause. He also talked about giving for his work and for his workers. In Luke chapter 10, when he sent out the 70, he sent them out by twos. And you know, when he sent them out to do their ministry, he said, don't take any money with you. That's what he said, don't take your purse. Guys had purses. There were man purses. I just see something wrong with that. I don't know why, but there were. And he said, don't take your purse when you go. Don't take an extra coat with you. You just go with your coat. And when you go to a place, if someone opens their home to you, you go and you stay in that home. And then he says, eat anything they put before you. That's what I practice when people serve me things I don't like to eat. And boy, there's a lot of things you know I don't like to eat. No, the truth is he said, just eat whatever they serve. And whatever they give you, whatever they provide you with, just be thankful and be dependent. And he says the, is, the laborer is worthy of his hire. That's taught a number of different times by Jesus Christ. But in that passage, he said, look, this is a responsibility that you have. So, so just learn to be dependent upon God. That was part of the truth. But he said those who are on the other side, you're supposed to take care of the needs. And by the way, anyone who wouldn't take care of them was going to be judged by God. So for his work and for his workers, you're to provide. And so Jesus taught this matter of stewardship. Jesus taught, fourthly, contentment. Luke chapter 3. Luke chapter 3. In Luke chapter 3, Jesus taught about how those who repent ought change their lives. 
And he goes through and he talks a, a lot about that. Um, he said, um, let's see, verse 7, Then said he to the multitude that came forth to be baptized of him, O generation of vipers, who hath warned you to flee from the wrath to come? And, uh, and so he, went, he goes through and he talks, bring forth fruit, uh, fruits worthy of repentance. And it's interesting because the people were convicted and they asked what they should do. And you know what he taught? Verse 11, he answered and saith unto them, he that hath two coats, let him impart to him that hath none. And he that hath meat, let him do likewise, be a giver. First principle. And then he said, and, uh, he said, the tax collectors came, the publicans, and Jesus said, deal honestly with people. Talked about money again. Then the soldiers come to Jesus. And you know what Jesus said? He said, be content with your wages. Isn't that interesting? So Jesus, in three great lessons, all of them related to the matter of money, said, be content with what you have. Be content with what you have. Be content with what God has given to you. So don't be a getter. Don't live life that way. Be content. And finally, in Luke chapter 6, we come full circle to where we started. Jesus taught about giving. And in verse 38, he says again, Give, and it shall be given unto you. Good measure, pressed down and shaken together and running over, shall men give into your bosom. For with the same measure that ye meet with all, it shall be measured to you again. So last but certainly not least, Jesus taught about giving. He referenced this subject in many different ways, but in chapter 6 and verse 38, he shares just a one, one wonderful truth about giving uh, of many. And he says, you'll always be rewarded when you do so, always. I, I know it's, it's said all the time, but it's true. You can't outgive God. You can't. Never been able to do it. No one in history has ever been able to do it because God is a great giver. In fact, the book of Malachi talks about God being one who, who will open the windows of heaven for someone who has that kind of attitude of a giver. Now, look, you can choose to keep what you have. You can spend everything you get on yourself and your own needs, and no one can stop you from living that way. But here's what I want you to know. You will miss out. I say that. I say that because the Bible says it. I say it because I've experienced it. I know that God abundantly blesses when people give. So then we come to the questions. You know, Pastor, you didn't share with me anything I didn't know. Yeah, these are common. And it's no wonder they're common because Jesus taught on them. This is the very words of the very God of heaven and earth. He wants you to know these things. But the truth is, it's not a big deal just to know them. You need to live in light of them. So I ask you, rather than just go and say, oh, wow, I got five points, ask yourself these questions. First, all five things. Do I see that everything I have is from God? And am I looking to him as my provider? And, and you can put the word daily. Do I? Ask yourself that question today. Do I see that everything I have is from God? Am I looking to him as my provider? Okay, second question. Fair enough. Boy, this is profound. Boy, I can't believe you're so deep, Pastor. Am I a getter or a giver? Am I a getter or a giver? And here's the question, what would God say? I'm not asking what you think. I'm asking what, what would God say about you? And if you don't know, why don't you pray about it? Third question, am I a wise steward with what he has given me? Do I use my money wisely? Do I blow it on frivolous things? Am I a wise steward with what he has given to me? And that, by the way, um, has great bearing on whether you can give to missions and do other things, if you're wise with your finances. And then, am I content with what I have? 
That is challenging. Am I content with what I have? And then based on Luke 6.38, this is the question. And this, uh, honestly, this is what I try to remind myself every year when I come to the matter of missions giving, is what more can I do? What more can I do? It's not the matter of, am I giving to missions? It's not a matter of, hey, have I given to missions for years? Yeah, sure. My parents taught me. I was given when I was, when I got my first job. They taught me to give to missions. It was a dollar a, dollar a week when I was doing newspapers, you know. Um, what mom and dad taught, I'm thankful for that. Taught me about the matter of giving. But the question isn't, the question isn't, am I giving? The question isn't, uh, how much am I giving? The question is, really, if God does abundantly bless those who give, what more can I do? Seriously. Well, I always try to do percentages, Pastor. Why? Why don't you ask yourself this question? What more could I do? I wish I had a lot more time to elaborate on each truth, but these five principles really are foundational, but they're only foundational if you live them, if, if you really think about them and live, them and live in light of them. And I'm, I, I do want to ask you to look at these questions and think about them and let them be a guide and help for you as you make a decision about giving the missions next week and what you're going to do in the coming year if God so provides. We understand this. God has to provide. He's got to give you the ability to work, everything else. But look at, look at your commitment to missions in light of these things. And, and these are not my ideas. I, I wish they were. I, I'd like to think I was pretty smart. I came up with these things. But I'm not. These are God's ideas. And they're what he tells us to do. And if we would live in light of them, we will be pleasing to him. And that is all that matters. You know, what, what matters is not that we have 45,000 committed to missions. You know what matters is that you give what God wants you to give to missions. That's what matters next Sunday. And everyone else may rejoice because they've done what God wants them to do. But if you don't, you will miss out. That's the truth. So may we be people who have God's heart and God's attitude and God's thinking about the matter of money. And there you have at least five things. And you'll come up with a lot more if you do a study yourself. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes.